0: Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our lesson today includes a passage where the disciples of Jesus are having too much fun and Jesus gets criticized for this. But let's face it, in the eyes of most people, I think, (laughs) or at least many people, including many Christians, being a good Christian and having a good time do not usually go together. In our country, the first Christians were Puritans and H.L. Mencken once described Puritan, as a person with the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, is happy. (laughs) To illustrate, humorist Irma Bombeck shares the following story. One Sunday in church, she observed a small child who was not causing any trouble at all, but was smiling at everyone that he could. His mother finally uh, grabbed him and said, Stop that grinning. You're in church. This was followed by another forceful reprimand. Soon after, tears rolled down the boy's cheeks. The mother said, that's better. And she returned to her prayers. All right, let's hear it for the Christian religion. Knowing that religious people shouldn't be grinning, people were curious about Jesus And his followers. They asked him, John's disciples and Pharisees' disciples fast and pray. Why do your disciples eat and drink? In other words, Jesus, your disciples are not nearly serious enough about this whole religion thing. They've got to get the rules and observances down. They act like they're celebrating all the time. Jesus responded by saying, basically, well, they are celebrating all the time. You cannot make the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them, said Jesus. He was, of course, here speaking of himself. Jesus was the groom, but who was the bride? Any thoughts? Everyone at the wedding feast was the bride. God was creating a new humanity through the presence of his son, Jesus. So, not only has God decided to be with us, Emmanuel, God has decided to create a new family that includes us with Christ at the head. A new family where we receive the promise of healing, and we, in fact, become healers ourselves, like Stephanie and many others. The marriage feast is one of the major symbols of celebration and of grace in the Bible. And grace is all over the place in these stories, isn't it? No wonder the disciples enjoyed their daily bread and adult beverages. They were at a perpetual wedding feast. Now, I can, be under, uh, I, I can, uh, I can relate to the disciples being under a bit of fire. When Heidi and I were married, uh, we two tested... Some long-held rules pushed our luck a little bit. For both of us, our parents and grandparents were raised in the Lutheran Free Church, which is, which is a fairly conservative and pietistic Lutheran denomination some of you may be familiar with. For instance, wedding receptions were in the church basement with cake and punch and coffee. Um, no wine, no dancing. I think people always had a good time at these receptions, but, uh, but they always repented later. So for our wedding reception, Heidi and I thought we would change a couple of things. We would have the reception, first of all, at a reception hall, not in the church. We would serve wine and beer. And we would hire a DJ and have a dance. Radical stuff, huh? <laughs> not anymore, but I, some of you can relate to that, right? Not exactly what you grew up with. Uh, this was all Heidi's idea, by the way. <laughs> no one was. Now, most people within our families uh, were not only okay with this, they were kind of excited, frankly. But one of my aunts was not pleased to learn this. Uh, and she... Um, let us know by writing a scathing um, letter uh, to us, condemning the evils of alcohol and dance. Now, I'm well aware of what alcohol can do to a person if they abuse it. This is not a trivial subject at all. But so then, can anything inherently good be used for the bad when it is misused? Um, Besides, Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine At a wedding celebration was not just for communion. It was the celebration that kept going and going. So we knew we were in good company. And dancing? Okay, we all know what dancing can lead to. But on the other hand, didn't the Hebrew men, women, and children dance on the shores of the Red Sea for hours on end after God had delivered them? Did they not dance and feast when the prodigal son returned? Does it not say in the Psalms to praise God with tambourine and dancing? Yes, yes, and yes would be the answers. Our lives and the many blessings that God gives to us, go ahead, count them every single day, are manifestations of grace. When religion prevents us from receiving these blessings in joy, humility, and celebration, Something has gone wrong. Now, normally I'm not a fan of arranged marriages, but when the bridegroom is God and we are the bride, well, that's actually pretty cool. Think about it. God is supposed to be some humorless, somber old man with a white beard waiting to judge us at the pearly gates and throw the book at us for our lack of goodness. And instead, he's down here in our world asking for our hand in marriage. This is good news. It is also unmerited grace. For we don't deserve this invitation. Now we know that because Jesus says in our lesson today that I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, okay. What does that mean? Well, think of who is at this wedding celebration at the time that this story was being told. So far in Mark's gospel, You have a bunch of healed people, frankly. You have the paralyzed man, now mobile and forgiven. There is the demon-possessed man, now demon-free. There is the leper who has been healed and restored to his community. The woman whose fever and isolation has been lifted. Did any of these people merit having their lives transformed by Jesus? There is nothing to indicate any of these people were righteous. they're at the wedding no wonder there's a celebration going on the people who are at the celebration celebrating the bridegroom are the recipients of pure unmerited grace in fact the disciples themselves are not righteous Levi Matthew the tax collector for instance He was widely considered in that time evil, and for good reason. He collected taxes for the Romans while generously skimming amounts off the top for himself. At least that's what the tax collectors normally did. He is now a follower of Jesus? Whoa! (laughs) This is not right. In truth, we are being taught by Jesus that there is no such thing as righteous people to begin with. (laughs) Only those who think they are. And those people are definitely not fun. They think they have merited some special status because of their obedience. And that sense of superiority and entitlement has a dreadful effect on one's capacity to show compassion and be gracious and be a healer. No wonder a little girl once prayed the following prayer, "O God, make the bad people good and the good people nice. Look around our country today, I think there's a few people who may fit that category, that style of religion. People who know they are sinners, who know they are broken, those are the people Jesus came for. They are open to Jesus because they know that only grace will save them. None of this means that fasting and prayer don't have their place uh, with followers of Jesus. Fasting can, in fact, be a celebration of our dependence on God, not on our stomach's cravings. Prayer is obviously vital, too, and can be a form of celebration. Prayer and fasting in the hands of some religious types, though, can be merely a joyless observance, a way of measuring our worth, not responding joyfully to grace. So, why does being a good Christian often entail a sort of somber joylessness or a suffocating judgmentalism? I think it happens when we think that being a Christian is primarily about the rules. It is not. It is primarily about grace, which always comes to us as this new wine that will not easily be held by the old wineskins. Rules express our understanding of what we're supposed to do. The Christian faith is always, always founded first on what God does, and God gives us life and daily blessings, forgiveness, the promise of healing and wholeness in many and various ways. It's no accident that the root meaning of the word grace comes from the verb, I rejoice, I am glad. But why do most people think of the Christian faith as laws rather than grace and promise? Perhaps because with laws, we can then harbor the illusion that we are still in control, that we have earned our way into a special club and are better than others because of our obedience or our litmus test. We become the people who Mark Twain used to talk about, who were good in the worst sense of the word. Yet Christian theology is clear. Rules and laws, while having great practical value and even being a gift from God, cannot bring life. In the end, the law brings only death because it brings judgment. Not just on the other guy, but you, on you and me, too. It all comes down to God's love that God chooses to share with us. If not for the grace of God, so go I, is the saying. We receive one undeserved gift after another because it is God's good pleasure to give them to us. I close with this, Isaac Dennison wrote a story in the 19th century entitled Babbat's Feast that is also a movie. It is, in summary, about one marvelous, elaborate feast of pure grace lavished upon a group of people whose strict and austere piety had sort of choked the life and joy out of them. One honored guest at this feast, a general, who has regrets of his own, sees quite clearly the significance of the occasion. He stands up and offers a reflection. I'll show you that clip now. There are subtitles, and the words are also printed on the insert in your bulletin. This is the new wine that requires new wineskins. When mercy is infinite and righteousness and bliss kiss one another. I highly recommend the movie. It is, in fact, a movie about healing in the deepest sense of the word. So be grateful, my friends, and be humble. Our world needs more grateful and humble hearts. Amen. Amen. Please stand.